0: Do you feel as though because you had seen your father put so much into this shop that you had to join it?
1: No, definitely. Like he was really, really hugely committed. I told people it was his first wife. There was the bakery and then there was us. (laughs) (laughs) Not in a bad way, but like I can understand, you know, how much of himself he put into the place to make it what it is. You know, it's part of you. It could be your first wife or your first child or whatever, you know. And plus, we all lived off it, right? It was keeping us going. So it's an important place as well. But also there's, like, a character then atmosphere. There's part of it, like, you could say there's still part of him there, if that makes sense. No, I'm not being, like, all spiritual and, and, and all that, yeah. but what I mean is, like, the way he was, like, the characteristics and the way he, he set the standard there, you know, it's, like, his personality is, like, you can feel it. You know, there's at, there's atmosphere. Because he, he was a bit quirky. He wasn't boring. For example, you know most people, if you've got a shop full of people. You wouldn't think of raising your voice or um, yeah. saying what's on your mind or, you know, yeah. you're like... There was no filter. If you thought it, it came out. You know, you didn't think, should I say this or shouldn't I say this? I feel this way and I'm going to tell you I feel this way. <laughs> no, I'm not happy. Hey, you're an idiot. <laughs> as blunt as that. Not, I don't think you should have done that. Hey ah, You idiot, what have you done? You know. Hey,
0: everyone. Firstly, happy Chinese New Year. Welcome to episode 70 of the So This Is My Why podcast. I'm your host and producer, Lingya. And today's guest is Daniel Cohen, managing director of Bagel Bakes. Bagel Bakes is one of London's most iconic Jewish bagel, or for some, bagel, bakery located along Brick Lane. It also happens to be one of my favorite places in town. Open 24/7, and rarely is without a very long queue snaking all the way out onto the streets. As a second-generation owner, Daniel peels back the layers on what it's like to run a family business how the bakery first got started, what his father was like and the way they started introducing sandwiches with salt beef fillings, the famous rivalry they have with another bagel shop two stores down, how they've adapted to the pandemic and their experience having the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge drop by. If you've ever been curious to know what it's like to run one of London's most iconic bakeries then this is the episode for you. Are you ready? Let's go.
1: Welcome to the So This Is My Why podcast, where we talk to people about their
0: whys and how they turn them into realities to inspire you to live your best life. And here's your host, Ling Ya.
1: I'm Jewish in origin. My dad's from Israel. My mom's from England. Before I was born, he opened his bakery, a Bagel Bakery, which we had to talk about. He opened it to the public in 1974. However, it was a wholesale business prior to that. He met my mom at the bakery. So she worked for him. So they got together there. When we were younger, my dad was probably a little bit more observant than he was later on in life. And that's due to his mum. His mum was religious. My dad didn't really care. We were like, you know, traditional. We kept bits and pieces. But then we weren't like full on, enjoyed ourselves as well. I went to a Jewish primary school. My children go to a public English school. So on Sundays, they have like an hour or two of Jewish school. I wouldn't say they start reading all the Bible and and whatever. With Jewish people, they learn a little bit about our religion and the festivals. Because like I said, I'm not that religious. So I'm not hugely practicing. But it's nice to know. It's like education, isn't it? So we had normal, you know, maths, English, Jewish studies. We we learned about Jewish stuff, kind of like religious studies, history, geography, you know, etc., etc., PE. You know, we did everything just... Within our school learning, we had a little Jewish education as part of it. And also it was a Jewish school theme. So, What does Jewish that mean? Education.
0: Because I come from a Muslim country and there are no Jews here.
1: Very similar to being Muslim, actually. You've got Halal over there? Yes. We've got Kosher. It's the same thing, a different name. They've got like five prayer times a day. Yes. We have three. I don't do any, but we're meant to pray three times a day. Women shouldn't really be like walking around in bikinis and whatnot and showing their body off. OK, yeah, we're a little bit more discreet as well. You know, it's just very similar.
0: So you mentioned that your father started his business before you were born. So I imagine that growing up, there must have been a tremendous feature in your family life.
1: Yeah, like I would go there as a child all the time. He would take me there. It was, like, it was a fun place to be when you're small, you know, like imagine being a child. There's, there's flour, dough, machinery, like... You don't have to keep the place clean like you do at home, <laughs> throw flour everywhere. And, you know, you clean up afterwards, obviously, we're not animals. I started working full time at 19. But if I'd ever go in as a child, you know, there's not much to do. So eventually, after I'd messed around a bit, I'd go and help the people, like, cut bagels or butter them. And I might pick up the broom and walk around and sweep them. Not that I was told to, it was just something to do. And, you know, I saw others doing it. So I was like, oh, I'll help you, you know. And everyone was so friendly and it was just a nice place to be.
0: Bagels. I was reading it actually originated from Jewish communities in Poland, isn't it?
1: Yeah, correct. What's
0: the history behind it?
1: So apparently there's a story that it was like there were hard times and there was a king and they just come out of some kind of bad situation and they wanted to celebrate. But they because there were hard times, there wasn't like a lot of food and products and stuff to have a party with so they had to make do with what they had so apparently the bagel started by they didn't have enough to portion out for all the people around so they used a bit less and they like they removed a bit hence the hole yeah it's a fun it's a nice story I, I don't know if that's the reason so they made the hole and that way they could make an extra portion so like you know you'd save a quarter from each one you can make an you know an extra portion and they spread it out that way that was another thing. Another story I heard was it was a way of carrying them and displaying them. So that they'd put them onto sticks or string, yeah? And instead of filling up bags and stuff, it's just an easy way to transport them, right? So you just fill up a load of string with bagels and you go around and you just take them off and sell them. So I think that's the shape that it came from, why we boil them and the method of cooking them. I think that's probably something that evolved over time.
0: And it wasn't, it used to be given to women following
1: childbirth. I never heard that. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Essentially, yeah. I know the pronunciation, a lot of people say bagel, or we say yeah. bagel. That's because the Yiddish, which is an Eastern European Jewish language, words are pronounced differently in different languages, right? So you'd say Baigen,
0: mm.
1: And it would be the Yiddish pronunciation. My dad's from Israel. So he would also have a bit of an accent to him. So he'd said baigle. So hence why it's spelt and we say it that way. And then you know how English words sound slightly differently to American words? Yeah. Bagel is a very American way to say it, like you say. Instead of, we say Iraq, they say Iraq. You know, we say Arab, they say Arab. So yeah. it's like just pronounced the word differently. I think that's all it is. But obviously, there are more Americans in the world than us. So they say Bagel took off a bit more, I guess.
0: And I just wanted to talk about the area in which your shop is located. I guess it's in Brickling, which is quite historical. And I was reading up, and apparently it was quite a derelict area before.
1: Basically, it's um, throughout time, a lot of immigrants have waved into the uk when there have been problems like people seeking asylum and whatnot so the first wave going back to that time were were the jewish people and they were brought into the east end because there's a dock there london docklands is not far from the east end so they were brought into that area obviously it's a poor area so where do you put immigrants put them there so that became a jewish community and jewish hub and that's around the time that my dad came over here and he started his business you know the bakery the next wave that came in were Bangladeshi people and whatnot. So at one point it was a very Bangladeshi area, although a lot of Jewish people remained because some people bought shops and homes and houses and housing properties and obviously established shops. So some remained, some Crozon moved on. And slowly, slowly it turned into a bit of a Bangladeshi Jewish area. And now a lot of Spanish, Italian and French people came there. And over time, because it's so close to central London, it's become more of an affluent area. And so you have a whole variety of different people, like you got Americans, English people have come back to the area, you've got lots of students, there's loads of nightlife and activities and things to do there, so now it's become a huge jumble of all different ethnicities, so it's really a nice, diverse, interesting area to be. Yeah, well, we're open all the time, 24 hours a day, every day, we never shut, we're always there, we're reasonable in price. My dad always believed in being fair and honest and not being greedy, he was very content, he said like, I don't need much more, the rest is just waste. Why should I kill myself and work extra and and squeeze everybody else around me when I'm happy? So he said, yeah, let everybody, you know, I'm doing well. Let everybody do well with me. And he was he was a really good guy. He was, he was a was nice, not just because he's my dad. He actually like he was a nice guy.
0: Do you so, remember yeah. the story behind how the shop started in 1974? I mean, he started it with his brother Amnon and also Sammy as well, right? What was the- Correct.
1: Yeah. So it, prior to that, my uncle Johnny, his elder brother. Was here many years before him. And he started the bagel trade. He was the person that brought bagels to England. He actually started it all over here. He had three shops and he recruited my dad to come over from Israel and help him. He put the seed in, his, in my dad's head. And my dad said, well, there wasn't much going on in Israel, to be honest. It was a very poor country. It was like, just started off at the time. I was like, oh, I'll go. You know, I'll go. And he came, started working with him, and he learned everything. And there's two bakeries on Brick Lane. Yeah. My uncle owned the other one. Yeah. And my dad worked there. Then my dad started renting that building off my uncle and started bagel Bake there, really. But it was a wholesale business and a, a little bit of retail. And then my dad and my uncle had a bit of a falling out because my uncle wanted his shop back. And my dad wanted to had a business there now. He wanted to keep going. Then the, the bakery where we are now was a butcher's. That guy retired and my dad knew him. So he took the shop. He offered to buy the shop from him and did. And that's why there are two bakeries there on Brick Lane in the same And then my uncle sold that one to somebody else in the end. So now it's two different families. They actually all worked for my uncle Johnny. So it was all really the same, but it went that way after my uncle sold it. That is kind of technically our shop, although we don't own it now. It's not us anymore, but that was us. And then we moved over here and somebody took over that one. I wouldn't say we're in competition. We're friendly. Everyone seems to like us more, thank God.
0: And how did it go from being a wholesaler and having no shop run to actually selling to the public.
1: So people used to come by, obviously could smell the produce or whatever. And although it was a factory and wholesale, like things were pretty relaxed back then, especially my dad is very relaxed person. So the door would be open, people would come in, can I can I use the toilet, Can kind I of this. We used to get deliveries from, um you know, a lot of drivers, truck drivers would come by and drop deliveries off and stuff. And they'd ask to have some food and we'd give it to them. And then some say, oh, no, I insist on paying. So, okay. But I don't know. And then passers by could smell what was going on so oh can i have some bagels?" and yeah yeah and then eventually they just thought well let's just start selling some so they started selling people that passed by would ask and there were lots of black cab drivers and road sweepers and people in the area that just knew us police you know working people that just got to know us from the community They're like, oh, i'll buy some i'll buy some i'll buy some and they're like okay let's make a small shop so literally they just made a window because it was like all shutters and stuff. They just made a window, got a little box, literally like a money box with some change in it. And people, they'll be working. People coming in, can I have some Bibles? Okay, yeah, here's six Bibles. And then one guy said like, oh, I want a sandwich. Like, you got anything to put in this? I'm hungry. I don't eat just bread. So I think one of them had something They're like, hey, here, have some chicken or whatever, you know, whatever it was, you know. And then mm, maybe we'll bake sandwiches. So they started baking sandwiches. And it wasn't even a shop at that time. It was just like literally a hole in the wall. And slowly, slowly, they started getting busy and busy and people asking, asking. So they said, okay, people want this. Let's give it to them. So they made a the shop. It was a tiny shop. It was literally like a tiny table. There would be cooking and then people would come in and then you'd go and serve and you'd carry on making bagels, and you'd go and serve. And, and eventually it got too much for them to handle. They got a woman to come and make sandwiches and to serve. And it just grew. It just got bigger and bigger. And then as it got bigger, the shop got bigger and the door opened up and we got windows and it, it came with it as Almost by luck, you could say, by chance. Yeah, just,
0: wow. And it sounds like it was purely cool. by word of mouth. You didn't have to put yourself out there and advertise newspapers.
1: No, no. And I guess, thank God, we had a lot of like black cab drivers and minicabs and stuff and road sweepers and things. And people would probably walk around and say, oh, where can you get something around here? Because like you said, it was a really rough and rubbish area. And then you've got all the shops. It was like a load of um seamstresses, tailors, leather, factories. And everybody knew everybody in the area. That's you coming into your shop, going out of your shop. You'd park your car. You just get to know people in the roads. Like We still know all the shops around us, like on, on our section. I know every single shop owner. They all know us. I go to them to get stuff. They come to us to get stuff. And there was a lot of bartering here. Have a bagel, give me some soap. Have a bagel, come out some onions, you know, and stuff like that. So just everybody started telling everybody and they would tell their customers and black cab drivers would be like, oh, I know a place you can go to. Come here and I'll, I'll get your bike. Come on, let's go and get a bike if you're hungry, you know, and stuff like that. And just, yeah, just word of mouth. It just grew and grew and grew very slowly. And then all of a sudden, about the early 90s, I would say it started getting busier. Because up until then, we didn't have much money or anything. I, I used to share a room with my sister. You know, we lived in a small three bedroom house. There were seven of us living there. And it was just over time, you know, we got lucky.
0: Where do you think it was that it suddenly got busier in the nineteen nineties? Was there a particular incident that happened?
1: No, I don't think so. I think that was just like word of mouth started spreading like anything. One tells two people, two people tell four people, four becomes sixteen, sixteen becomes eighty-five. You got you get to a point where a hundred people tells three hundred people, three hundred, a thousand, you know, and eventually it just goes out of control, doesn't it? Like things on Instagram, how do things go viral? One sense to one, one sense to the other. And, you know.
0: So I wanted to talk a little bit about the fillings that you mentioned a bit. What are the typical flavors? I suppose salmon and cream cheese seems to be really, really
1: popular. Yeah, my favorite, the number one is the salmon and cream cheese. Another yeah. very famous offering, a Jewish offering, is the salt beef. Mm-hmm. That's the number one most popular product, hands down.
0: Isn't there a story behind that? That your dad loved pastrami, which is salt beef, and yeah. he used to buy it from yeah. someone else? Yeah.
1: That's yeah. right. My dad used to go to, there's a, there was a place called Blooms in Whitechapel, another Jewish shop. They're a delicatessen. <laughs> they, they sell like pickled cucumbers, herring, fish balls, latkes, salamis, you know, like bits and pieces, deli food. So there was a delicatessen. You can go in there, you can have a, some chicken soup, you can sit down and eat a meal or whatever, like a traditional Jewish bits and pieces. But they just go all the time, like, not going to live on bikers. They used to go and eat. So he loved salt beef. They used to sell salt beef. And they got into trouble one day and closed down, decided to leave the area. And my dad says, you know, you like salt beef? And I said, eh, let's start selling salt beef. So we bought some in, we started doing it, and we bought one piece of meat, we sold it, we bought two pieces, we sold it. Everyone started getting a taste for it, and they are like, now we're buying lots of beef.
0: <laughs> I mean, you make it sound so easy, like do you guys figure out the recipe along
1: the way. There's a standard, there's a traditional way of cooking it, you know, Like I said, my dad was friendly with the guy. He probably asked him and he told him a little bit. And it's just a traditional Jewish food. Like a lot of households make it themselves. Especially back then, one out of five households would probably make their own salt beef. So it's not like it's a secret or anything. But then you go to everybody's house, everybody's mum will make it a bit different. It'll taste different, right? Some puts more pepper, some puts less pepper, some puts more of this, some you know, like so my dad's he was not bad to cook, you know, he's quite a good cook. I guess he'd baked all his life, that's what he did. So cooked the salt beef and then one he ate it and he said "Mm, it needs more this you know Mm, it needs more that he liked it and others also liked it I don't know what to say he you know he had a good tongue (laughs) (laughs) he had a good palate he knew what he was doing so yeah
0: your father sounds like such an interesting person are there particular memories that stand out for you
1: you know he'd, he'd done a lot in his life from a very young age he was one of eight children his Dad and mum, like, I don't think they were like 100%. His dad wasn't around all the time. He used to go off and come back and go off and come back. They didn't have a great relationship. He was one of the older children. He was apparently very difficult to discipline. So, uh, yeah, he was like a bit of a rebel, you know. He wasn't. He, he loved his mum to bits. Like, as soon as she told him something, he will do it. But he was also like, he liked to do his own thing. He liked to push the boundaries, you know. So, apparently, at one point, he went to um kind of like a boarding school for, like, naughty children, you could say. You know, he was a naughty he used to go off and not come back for a few days and god knows what else and so he went to school for naughty children so it was a bit difficult so he like you know he's got lots of stories of things that he had done you know he he'd got to mischief he, he was always doing something then his parents were carpenters traditionally my grandfather was a carpenter my dad used to do that he was a, used to do french polishing and so he's he's he was very handy he knew how to fix everything because he it was like pretty hands on, it was in the army. He was in, you know, have you ever heard of the War of Independence, like the five day war of Israel? No, so after um, Israel used to be under British rule, it was called Palestine at that point. So after the world war, everybody voted and gave Israel to the Jewish people. There was a little bit of like harmony at the time because there were just Middle Eastern Jews and all the Arabs and, and Palestinians and whatnot living there. Afterwards, the East European Jews came in from after World War II because that's where they settled, they, like, they made that their home. And um, I think there's a little bit of rivalry. And, and I don't think the Palestinians really appreciated that the country kind of, I don't know whose country it was, it was the British. The British owns Israel, but I guess they would say we we were here first. But then you've also got the native Jews who were there first. So it's, I'm not a politician. But anyway, because of all of that, war started. The native Arabs or Muslims or, or not Jewish or whatever people didn't appreciate the newcomers and wanted to get rid of them and whatever. Didn't accept what the world voted. Like, How can you just give away a country? It's our country. We live here. Or oh, whatever. Anyway, so my dad was in that war, which I guess quite interesting. He'd done a lot of different jobs and things. He's, you know, he, he'd, he'd done a lot in his life. And back then, like, things were hard. So you just had to get by and do what you can to get by. Memories of him. He was a very funny character. He had a really, really good personality. He was like, it's strange. Like, he'd blow up over little things. Like if I um, was making too much noise or woke him up or whatever, like, you know, I'd get in huge trouble and I had the car accident. I was sort of, oh my God, he's going to go crazy. I'm dead. I'm dead. So he said, hmm, okay. Then he asked me, so what did you do? So I said, well, I had some money on him. So I gave the guy some money and I said, I'll fix the car privately. I really, I kind of didn't want you to find out, but I didn't have enough money. So I owe him more. So I was like, Okay, very good. No problem. <laughs> and I was like, really? No problem. We took it You know, I thought I was gonna have my head cut off. <laughs> but no, no problem. I spilled my cup of coffee on the floor. Oh my god, oh my god, what have you down. I was like, why? <laughs> it was just funny. You kept you on your toes, you know? It's always it surprised me. What else do I remember? He no? would always make you laugh. Yeah, it was funny. He's like, for example, he it kept himself to himself a lot of the time. It was like quiet, but then like he'd want a bit of a um, company, so He'd normally, like, he had his own living room where he'd watch TV and stuff. And say I had loads of friends over, because we were quite social. We had Our house was like, we had an open door. Anyone, all my friends, my brothers' and sisters' friends, I was one of five. So it was quite often a lot of people in my house. And every so often he'd come in and he'd be, like, sitting with us and be like, Oh, how's it going, everyone? You okay? You know, yeah? And they'd be talking with us. And then all of a sudden he'd get fed up. So he would be like, okay, and just walk away. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've said hello. Bye. I've oh, got you know it's just funny it was like things were on his terms it was quite funny the way he did it I just remember he was a really really good dad he was a good nice guy I don't know
0: do you feel as though because you had seen your father put so much into this shop that you had to join it
1: no definitely like he was really really hugely committed I told people it was his first wife there was the bakery and then there was us (laughs) (laughs) Not in a bad way but like I can understand you know how much of himself he put into the place to make it what it is you know it's part of you it could be your first wife or your first child or whatever you know and plus, it's, we all lived off it, right? It was keeping us going. Yeah. So it's an important place as well. But also, there's like a character, then atmosphere. There's part of it. Like, you could say there's still part of him there, if that makes sense. No, I'm not being like all spiritual and, and, and all that. Yeah. But what I mean is like the way he was, like the characteristics and the way he, he set the standard there, you know, it's like his personality is like you can feel it. You know, it's, it's at, there's atmosphere because he, he was a bit quirky. He wasn't boring. For example, you know, most people, you've got a shop full of people, you wouldn't think of raising your voice or um, saying what's on your mind, or, you know, there was no filter. If you thought it, it came out. You know, you didn't think, should I say this or shouldn't I say this? I feel this way and I'm going to tell you I feel this way. No, I'm not happy. Hey, you're an idiot. (laughs) As blunt as that, not, I don't think you should have done that. Ah, you idiot, what have you done, you know? It doesn't sound very English for sure. (laughs) It's not English at all. <laughs> My dad is not English at all. I'm 5050. I've got, you know, every software so when it comes out, but most of the time it's it's in.
0: It's also like it kind of attracts the similar kind of customers. That's why I read this story about apparently you used to not sell bagels in the evening, and a customer came was so upset he came the next morning and banged on the table and he broke the till. Is that the true story? No,
1: so <laughs> basically why we started doing sandwiches, this was like back in the day when I said they had little lockbox and stuff. And they didn't do it all the time. Like I said, it was just people would ask and they're like, okay, we'll have some, here you go, you know, fine. One guy came in, he was drunk. He was a regular. It was a, he wasn't working on that evening, but normally he was like something, he was an English guy. And he came in and he was drunk and he wanted to eat. He was really hungry. So my dad said, well, we don't do that all the time. Like we don't have today. Oh, bang. what are you talking about? I'm hungry. The guy was upset. So my dad said, hmm, okay, we do every day now. <laughs> but Uh, but it's it's funny his character like most people would be like you know get upset like who are you to tell me what to do this is my shop he was like wow okay every day (laughs) come tomorrow (laughs) i promise you know i think he taught me a very good attitude and way to look at things like the guy is feeling something he's feeling angry for a reason there's no point in getting angry with him just like think he just thought outside the box like he's angry because i'm not providing something for him that I could make money off okay I'll give it to you (laughs) makes sense really doesn't it it's quite logical but not everyone thinks that way most people think emotionally and would be like why are you angry with me that that, yeah that's definitely like something that stuck with me it's very clever so I try and look at things that way more
0: are you always receptive to this kind of things like if I went in and just made a big fuss and say hey you should sell this as well you just implement into the recipe that I had
1: I would think I would consider it like if yeah. it was. Look, one person out of a thousand. Well, yeah. No, that's the rest of my time. Not in a rude way, but like to do all of that effort for one person just to keep one person happy. Like I don't mind doing a favor, but every day, all my life, it's a bit of a burden. But if a lot of people asked. Like we didn't always do gherkins in the soup beef. Now it's like God forbid you sell g- beef without gherkins. Like are you mad? But we didn't. And more and more people think you should. You should. You should. You should. You should. You should. You should okay, we will. We did. Listen yeah. to people.
0: And yeah, you're regulars as well. Yeah. What is it like to run a family-run business? I mean, there's no segregation between personal and professional life. Are there rules? Like, do you say, if you are upset at home, don't bring it to work? Uh,
1: <laughs> no. My, no, the, like I said, my dad was unique. Um, <laughs> and and my, not just my dad, my uncles, my family, generally. They're like, you know, it's, maybe it's an, an Israeli thing. Like, yeah, to an extent there's obviously a line there but we know each other we grew up together it's not like we don't know each other so my uncle will come in the moods and complain about everything and I will just be like he's in the mood today doesn't matter what you tell him it's not good he's in the mood okay he's in the mood if it goes on for days and days and days and it starts to get too much I say to him hey enough now calm down like you've hit the point stop sorry sorry you yeah, know sorry all right you know he'll snap out of it but you also allow him, and plus he's older than me. I respect him. My brother and I are like you could say like this. Like I know I upset him sometimes. I see it on his face. But I'm the older brother, so he's like a bit. I don't know if you have it in your culture, but in our culture, I, I to be honest, I wouldn't care if he turned around and told me get lost. You know, I don't care. I'm pretty relaxed. But he's got that built-in respect. It's like natural within us. So I see his face and I think to myself, ah, I've done something. He won't tell me what. I won't have to apologize. But I look at him and say, look, what is it? they will say, nothing, nothing, nothing. And i would be like, all right, all right. I'll, I've done something. All right, I'm sorry. All right. Whatever it is, it's stopped. I'll go, I'll leave him. I'll go away. But we know each other. It's not a problem. Business is life. Life is business now. It's all one.
0: What was it like when you became managing director that you feel though so you had to steer the business in a certain direction?
1: I became a lot more serious simply because of more responsibility. Now... When I was just working for my dad, it's like there were certain things I didn't have to worry about, you know, how much the gas costs, if so-and-so is going to turn up for work or not, if the health inspector turns up and uh, there are new rules now, you need to start doing this. You know, I I didn't really have to worry about any of that so much. I had less responsibility. So I guess I became a slightly more serious, although I don't know if you can tell I'm not that serious. You know, I I am going to have to be, I guess. Also, like... I came in at a young age. I started working there at 19. A lot of our staff have been with us for years and years. I've known them since I was small. So imagine being at the time a 19-year-old. I was manager there, not managing director, but imagine having to tell people that 50 years old, people that could be my father or my uncle, what to do? Not easy. So I found my way, but it was a long road, a long way to El Dorado, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've heard a lot of this as well, like lots of friends who would then take over their family business, but They have employees who have been there since they were babies or before they were even born. And how do you gain their respect? They know it better than you.
1: Well, actually, funnily enough, I've learned everything. I came in, and I think my dad was very wise. I came in emptying bin bags, cleaning the toilets, sweeping and mopping, you know, all the muck that the others, well, more senior people than me wouldn't want to do. I was doing it. And you know what? I did it with a smile. I got it. It makes complete sense. If I ever saw anyone that needs, even now, like it's just the way I I was brought up, I'm their boss. If I see somebody doing something, I'll run over to help them. If I see someone struggling, I'm there, no problem. I'm very hands-on. Even the funny thing, it's really nice to hear a lot of customers have said like, you don't stop. You do everything. Like some guy said to me, I really respect you. You're the boss. You could be standing there watching people and you're like cleaning and mopping the floors and washing the walls down and whatever. And I was like, "No, it needs to be done and we're all human beings. You know, it's one thing my dad told me, we're all human. It doesn't matter I'm your boss, I'm not your boss. And there's no, there's no such, you know, all this hierarchy, kings and queens. And we're all human beings, you know. There's no, there's no, no reason why I'm best, I, I'm not allowed to clean toilets and you are. Well, we can all do it. I'm guessing you've been to other bagel places. They don't all taste the same. Yeah. Believe me, they've all got the same stuff inside them. It's how you do it and what you know here. And it's, it's not just um, a recipe you can learn in a book. Or I or think bread is not something you, it, you have to understand what's going on. It's the touch and the feel. There's timing. At the same time, I'm not going to turn around and do it and let someone watch me and never touch it. Hi, it's your turn too. <laughs> Let's share.
0: <laughs> That's true. I, I remember like going to visit two weeks ago and I saw that you were there you were just helping to put all the bagels together and I thought oh everyone's sorry? yeah I saw I saw you were there but then I thought there's like a very very long line behind me I better not stop and
1: ask you anything
0: look always-, no,
1: always come over and say hi there's no problem
0: oh that's brilliant I mean I noticed that you also released your iconic bagel recipe was there a reason behind that
1: there's more to it than just a list of ingredients mm. everybody's but like I, I've looked and I've been to other bakeries and stuff every batch of flour is different. And then throughout the year, the temperature of the water and, and the atmosphere is different. And that all affects humidity levels in the room. It all affects it. So it's like, I can give you the recipe. I can write it down to you. You can even watch me do it once. You'll never do it the same.
0: Was there a reason so, that pushed you to releasing that recipe? Was it because many people were asking you thought, whatever, I'll just release yeah, it. Yeah, I was just
1: asked. I was asked many, 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 many times. And to be honest, okay, why not? You want to hear? Yeah. yeah. If you look, if you can copy, good luck to you. Go ahead. Why not? Brilliant. Just don't do it next to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> don't open a shop like opposite for me.
1: <laughs> yeah, like just don't do it next to me, please. <laughs> I helped
0: you out. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Do you ever think about opening another branch?
1: Yeah. Yes. I mean, look. Like I said, my dad was content, but my dad's brought me into life up here. I don't want to drop down. I lost the game of life, and I've also disrespected him. Like, uh, uh you know. So, please, God. Woo! You know, that's the the hope. At least, at least to stay on the same level, right? Don't sink. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, there's lots of demand out there. Not just that. Thank God they fed three families. There were three owners. They fed and looked after very well three families. So much so that I'm even in a position where my children are in a quite comfortable position. But how many times can you cut a cake? I've got three kids. My brother's going to have some kids. My cousin's going to have some kids. They're going to have kids. I'm not saying that my whole family forever and ever are going to be in the bakery business, but it would be nice to grow it a little bit. Plus, like, I love it. And lots of people, you know, it would be nice to see it shine. I love the place. It's part of me. I grew mm-hmm. up. I must be called Daniel Bagelbake Cohen.
0: Obviously, this is something that's impacted everyone, the pandemic. When did you first hear about it and how they impact what you guys were doing?
1: I'll be honest. Like I said, we think outside the box. When I first yeah. heard about it and everything, I was like, How bad could it be? (laughs) You know, then I started to take it a little bit seriously. I I found it odd that you were hearing reports from all different countries. Yeah, the airports were wide open. Like, hello, there's something going around killing people. Yeah, yeah, come, come. Just stamp your passport and come in. Were you stupid? What? You know, stop the planes. But anyway, they didn't. It came here. At the very beginning, like, our doors have never been shut. We didn't have a key to the door. Yeah. I found myself looking into getting shutters. Because it's a bit of a rough area, even though it's cleaned up, it's still a bit of a rough area. You know, people know we're busy and probably assume there's something there to take. It just takes a brick to smash our windows. And so we were looking at shutters. We were manning the shop in the evenings. Then all of a sudden, furlough scheme came in, you know, and everyone's scared. I don't want to die. And there's furlough available. I don't want to work. I don't want to work. I've got kids. I was like, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, look, if you don't want to work and you're scared do work what can i tell you i'm gonna force you when you want to come back we're here a lot of people stopped working and left you know it was like there was a handful of people that were willing to stay and wanted to stay and who were like for whatever reason you know they didn't want to stay at home you know obviously it's more money than furlough so they didn't want to lose their money or whatever and, and plus they just they wanted to help us out as well we've got a very good relationship for our staff but like i said i've known some of them since i was born Although they work for us, I call them an extension of my family. We're like, it's a family business, including them. In some way, they're like part of my family, you know? And thank God some of them feel the same way too. It's not one way, which is nice. You know, we've got a good relationship. So anyway, a few people stayed. Me and my brother and my uncle and my cousin, plus like plus one or two others, like I said, like we basically manned the shop 24 hours every day like you know in, like, dotted around the play like uh, i worked a lot recently <laughs> well, whatever you know it's what you have to do it's part and parcel right and Yeah, that's, that's how we coped and then um you hear a story like although we've got a good name we are un- understanding that nothing's invulnerable everything's fragile you could be Arnold Schwarzenegger and drop down dead tomorrow you know so um yeah we were worried don't get me wrong we were worried and plus it's like imagine like being used to seeing a queue of people in your shop every day smiling and laughing and saying we love you and then all of a sudden not even seeing a fly coming through your door it's hard and then you've got bills the bills don't stop nothing stops you know you've still got those expenses on top of you and it's i can't just turn around and say oh i want furlough i'm self-employed i'm independent here you're on your own so okay the first few weeks literally like ghost town maybe one or two or three people you know there's always one or two people around everyone assumed we were closed apparently people were phoning up the shop saying like are you closed are you closed closed because the rules were only food shops and and essentials thank god we're in essential which is lucky i guess because it's been food (laughs) you need it to live so um people finally started catching wind that we were open and to be fair we weren't doing loads but for three or four people it was a lot we were working we we're, you know, were working all of us had to do every job going under the sun you you'll not believe so yeah i mean we just kept at it kept our fingers crossed and thank god like we're still here you know and almost back to normal well I, I lie we're not back to normal i don't think we'll ever get back to normal but we're here you know didn't you launch
0: a delivery app that you were working on before the pandemic What's the yeah, story behind we, that?
1: Just by luck. Um, this is this guy came in, this Israeli guy. Um, he's a programmer. Heard of us. And uh, he was like, oh, I want to do this. So we turned around and looked at each other. This is before the pandemic. We had no idea. Like, we just, look, Deliveroo, Just Eat, Uber Eats, everything. You know, everyone's doing it. We're not ready to open another shop yet. Believe me, running the one shop's hard enough. I couldn't imagine having to do it twice. So we thought, you know, it's quite a, you said about expansion. It's kind of like having a shop, but not, right? It's like having another shop, but not. You can reach somebody over here and you can reach somebody over there, but you can still do it from home. So, yeah, lovely. Good idea. Okay, let's see what you've got. Well, he had had a lot of bugs in it. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry if you've ever ordered from us and had a problem. <laughs> uh, so the, this is a long interview. How do he sit back? Yeah, so he, he approached us and he said, blah, 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 blah. I can do this. I can do that. I can do that. We met with him. We, we liked the guy. We, we liked him. More than his product. His product's much better now. So we struck a deal. We said, "Look, you want to enter and penetrate this market? You're, you know, you're nobody. I can go to Deliveroo. I can go here. I can go there." He offered us a good commission and also a little bit more bespoke thing. To most people, it looks like a BibigoPay app made by BibigoPay, right? I mean, I don't know if you've used it or looked at it. Yeah, I've looked at it. You'd probably assume, yeah, we built it. It's all ours. No, it's this guy. He's, it's his like small company, but it like showcases us as being like the owners kind of thing so it's very similar to Deliveroo but not from your perspective
0: is there a reason why you didn't want to go on Deliveroo because on Deliveroo for instance they already have that existing market so you don't have to market yourself the way you had to do
1: yeah it's much easier right yeah low commission but then also a lot more work you know yeah. to be honest I think sometimes it's more work than the bakery phoning up complaints this went wrong that went wrong his name's Omer. Omer, it's not working. What's wrong? <laughs> says, One minute. Da, 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 yeah, I fixed it. It's like, I think fig- you sure you fixed it. Yeah, I fixed it. Two minutes later, there's a problem. Omer, it's not fixed. Da, 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 da. I fixed it. Are you sure? Yeah, it's not fixed. <laughs> but the guy got his food and he's happy. You <laughs> know, Thank God. A little bit of schmoozing. You know how to talk to him on the phone and call him down. Hey, I'm really sorry. You know, it's not our fault. And This happened. I'll give you this. I'll do that. Thank God, only a few times I got sworn out. <laughs> <laughs> all I can say is I'm trying. I can't please everyone, you know. Yeah. How do you get the word out? We use Facebook advertising. You can do Facebook ads and, and Instagram mm. and all that. So we, we did it that way. We hired, um, we hired a um, marketing company to do like a bit of a campaign for us. So they got the, the word out in a big way. I must say, it was like, we couldn't cope, actually. It was like, like a lot, a lot of orders. Due to the bugs, it slowly went down and down and down. You know, <laughs> some people didn't like it. <laughs> All right, we tried. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say we failed. It's okay. If it's not amazing. It's okay. Yeah. It's become stagnant. I think the main problem is, I don't know if you've used it, the delivery fee is a bit high.
0: I haven't used it because I could just walk to your place.
1: I appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Yeah. To be honest, you're probably better off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Um, yeah, so the delivery fee is a bit high because, look, Deliveroo charge them, for example, if we want some delivery, they'd want like 45% of um, the turnover. So from that is how they pay their drivers and their advertising and all those bits and pieces. So really, you think you're paying two pound delivery. Do you believe Tony, the bike driver, has gone from my shop all the way to your house for two pounds? He's not worked half an hour for two pounds. Who does that? I've gone benefits better. You know, are you crazy? I'm not driving around the whole of London for five quid. It's not happening. So we can't do that. You know, we pay the drivers what they need to be paid. You know, not our slaves. They need to earn money. It's, it's their job. So we charge you a bit more. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but we're working out something to try and sort of, to fix that.
0: Do you work with charities and how are those arrangements like?
1: Yeah, look, people come in and ask us. We're always happy. Look, I'll be frank here. Don't think I'm greedy guts or anything. People can, or, or, or being funny or difficult. Walk into Tesco's, yeah? Imagine walking to Tesco's and saying, I want this. I want that. I've been coming into your shop for 10 years. I want a discount I want this. You wouldn't dream of it and they wouldn't entertain it. But for some reason, people come and ask us all the time, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we're not turning over billions and billions like Tesco's, you know, far from it. We don't get a lot of profit on our products. Having said that, we're not starving. We're okay. You know, I'm not going to lie either. I'm going to turn and say, oh, take you for an idiot. We're poor. I'm not poor. So yeah, we give, we give all the time. Whoever asks, ninety-nine percent of the time we give. Some people come in and are a bit cheeky. I might say like, you know, I want your finger because you know you've got another four. Well, no, that's not. I need all five, <laughs> you know. But if you want something, I give you. Yeah, hundred percent. We give a lot of people. Um, there's a school. They come in every other day. We give them bagels and bread for the school to have like a tea or you know. I know some schools do like a snack at uh, break time or whatever. Here's your snack. Nearly every week they come. And there's a local church, they do like some gathering, I don't know, some kind of alcohol anonymous meeting, or I, I don't know what it is they're doing, they're doing something, okay, here's for some food. Another school got in touch with us, the member of the PTA, they want to do fundraising for schools, you know, a lot of schools have the government's not giving people enough money around here. So, okay, have some stuff to sell at your PTA, no problem. You know, yeah, we give, but no problem, you know, we're not greedy, just don't ask for my leg. <laughs>
0: That's one thing that got you a lot of publicity over a pandemic, which is the Dick and Judge of Cambridge came to visit. What was that like?
1: I wish my dad was around. Like, wow. We were all honoured. But obviously, because my uncle was started it with my dad. Like, it was like, is it Sammy? you know, imagine after all these, um, my other uncle um, and Sammy. Well, Sammy is a comedian like my dad. He said, what took them so long? <laughs> you know, I've been here 50 years. <laughs> I was joking. He was like, you see his face. He was like, Touched. It was heartwarming. They're lovely people. Maybe they're groomed to be that way, but actually, seemed to me is I think it's hard to fake. Really genuine, nice. Like you can tell from the questions they asked. They were really interested, involved. They were helping out, and you can say they were were like happy to be hands on. There wasn't like I'm not allowed to do this. They were like, yeah, come on, another one. Let's go. You know, they they were lovely. Yeah, and what an honor for the royalty to come and acknowledge this place is part of London. Or, or what have you, like, wow, what can you say?
0: Is it the first time they went to that part of London?
1: I have no idea, I don't follow them. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, <laughs> you know, that'd be, <laughs> probably not, but maybe, I don't know.
0: They were there for, I think, to understand what was happening in London, right? Yes,
1: it was, it was COVID-related, how is it affecting people and the community, etc. I think they went to several communities, and this was their east end of London, like, section, and we were, like, the, the main part of it which is really lovely we were there with like the example company which is like great
0: do you feel like there was a boost in terms of publicity for you after
1: that 100% you know I mean how could there not be it was very welcomed and I think they knew that they knew they were going to bring a bit of life back to the the area and the country and whatnot I think their aim really was to like let's get the economy moving let's get people back to life you know it's like wear your mask clean your hands and let's go Stop hiding in your homes kind of thing. Let's get London rolling again. And yeah, they I think they did a great job because there was definitely a huge boost. It may have peaked and died down a bit, but it was, you know, it was felt and noticeable. It was lovely and needed.
0: And how's the business now? You said that it's gotten better, but it's not like it was before.
1: Yeah, it's up and down. You know, look, every time there's another scare, another variant, another this, another that. The media is very good at scaremongering. It looks like that to me. I mean, the way they go on about certain things, they could be a little bit more. Realistic. It's not like someone sneezed. Someone died! You know, they take it to the extreme, don't they? You know, you might hear a little whisper somewhere, all of a sudden there's an earthquake. Yeah, so we notice like something gets said, bang, dip. You, you've got a good three-week dip before people get brave and forget and come back out into the world again. So it's like this continuously. And then we've just had Christmas. And then prior to Christmas, the other variant came out. That's the jab. Delta? Then another variant came hmm? Was it Delta? No, the one after Delta. What's the other one? Omicron. Omicron. Omicron's out now. It was just prior to Christmas, right? So they were like, oh, you know, be careful. Work from home again. Look, we're we're in the city. A lot of our customers at lunchtime are people that are working in offices. For ages and ages and ages, everyone was working from home for like a good year or so. Only very recently, companies said like, start coming back to the office now. Like, it's you know, we're, we're fine. And we were starting to get back to normal. And all of a sudden, Omicron came in and... Everyone's back at home again. Our lunch period has gone like that. I hired an extra person as it was building up again, and then Omicron hit, and now I've had to tell that person, "Look, I'm sorry, we're just not busy enough." I've kept them on because they're really nice. I really like them, and I can see the potential for the future. But and you know, everyone needs to work. There's not a lot of work out there. But I said to her, "I'm going to reduce your hours a little bit because she's standing there like this in the shop looking at the wall." I was like, "You you can see yourself like I'm sorry, but I'm not lying. Look." So she's like, no, I understand. I'm really sorry the shop's doing this. So I said, okay, work here and work there. And again, found bits and pieces for her. But yeah, it's gone down again. And ho- Well, I mean, hopefully once all of this is behind people and the offices start pick up, you know, it's, it's it's just a waiting game. It's just up and down, up and down. You don't know where you stand. One week I'm ordering 10 kilos of beef. The next week I'm ordering two kilos of beef. Like you just have to move with it.
0: And do you think in terms of what you anticipate this business going in the future, like five, 10 years? Or is it just too far and you're just living day by day?
1: So we've noticed over this, a lot of people because they're working from home are buying plain bagels a lot more. They're still buying our bagels, but not. We make money off off the sandwiches. Our plain bagels, we were selling them at like 30p each. Do you know how much work there is to make 30p? Believe me, it's not worth 30p. (laughs) Um, But um, you know, we made money from selling sandwiches. There's a markup there, like any, like you know, going to a restaurant to eat costs you 25 pounds at home. It costs you five. You know, it's just just the way it is, right? If you want the service, it costs a bit more. So um, we're making money with sandwiches, but now we're selling the sandwiches. People buying more of our plain bagels. So we've still got people in and out the door, but the profit's not there anymore. You know, it's harder. So what do you do? Try and sell more plain bagels, right? (laughs) So we hope to increase productivity and, like, increase wholesale and stuff like that. And, you know, please, God, one day you'll see us in other shops. We hope to supply other shops with stuff and our employees going and give them work to do and you know diversify a little bit
0: do you think of increasing the price
1: we wouldn't we only did because of after all of this plus brexit and plus everything else that every other excuse i call it that people have told me yeah oh we have to charge more for the flour the electricity to run our ovens and our machinery i don't know how you living in london still no i'm not but it's incredibly high you shock because electric is like double yeah you're gonna have a proper electric shock <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it just costs more to make so to keep the same amount of profit we have to put our prices up a little bit yeah
0: well thank you daniel so much for your time i love to end all of my interviews with the same question so the first one is this do you feel like after all this running this business that you have found your why
1: yeah, I found my wife when I was five years old. <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> it was love it given there. to you.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, I'm not, I wasn't born to work, or maybe I was born to work in the bakery. You never know, my dad's plan. But yeah, it's, yeah, definitely, I'm, I'm content.
0: I mean, just because you mentioned your dad again, did your dad ever come in and say, you are going to work in the shop? Or was it just a part of your life and you just ended up he it? He didn't
1: force it upon me, but he could see yeah. I was interested. So I said to him when I was old enough, and my dad had us late, he was like um, 47 when I was born or something. My mom was his second wife, but he didn't have any children from the first. But anyway, so he had the slate. So by the time I'm 19, my dad's like old, you know, he's in his 70s, touching 80. I was going to university at the time. He said, ah, I want your fees. I, mean, said, I said, dad, like he, he gave me like my first load of rent and whatever. And, and I was like, dad, I don't, I don't want to be like living from your hands all my life. Let me come and work with you. So he was like, you want to work? Nah, don't worry. You don't need to work. It's okay dad, I want to work. (laughs) Okay, come on Friday. (laughs) So, you know, I had to give him a push. I came on Friday. So I was working for him for a little while. I started working, working. And I fell in love with the place even more. It was always like an an amazing place to visit when I was small. I was like, they came like, dad, it's half term. I'm I'm not going to school today. Take me, take me, you know, but I fell even more in, in love with the place.
0: Why is that the case? Is it because you were given more responsibility?
1: No, I just saw it with different eyes. I was older. I wasn't a child. Like there came a point where I wasn't pulling on my dad's arm to go to the bakery. I was going with my friends. I was going to the cinema. I was going bowling. I was going up goals. You know, I was, it stopped for a period, right? I became a teenager. Then I saw it through adults' eyes. Yeah, I found a new respect for it. Yeah. So anyway, I was working with, him, working with him and I did something and I did something wrong. My dad liked to tell me off <laughs> a lot. Like I, I got in more trouble than anybody there. Not because I was so bad, I don't think. I think he wanted to shape me and mold me into like being able to handle the responsibility and look after the place the way he wants it looked after him, the, you know because he set it up let's be fair is you know it's not broken don't fix it i should continue in his footsteps to an extent you know there's always a bit of daniel flair you know so if i did something he said i thought to make you manager you don't know anything you know ah i made the mistake i'm so what have i done you never learn you're never going to learn i was like <laughs> you know so yeah <laughs> <laughs> he used
0: to give you let's say business
1: wisdom exactly that but if if I didn't fully grasp what he was trying to teach me uh, I'd get in trouble you know (laughs) I get shouted at. so but I learned (laughs) I learned because you know I revered him so you know if if I disappointed him I wanted to prove him wrong I wanted to show him that I could learn so yeah I tried my best
0: what was the hardest lesson you ever had to learn from him
1: I wouldn't say he has any hard lessons. Like He breaks things down into a, a, in a simple way to put things forward to you in a simple way. If you look at it from a different perspective, like I said, outside the box. So I wouldn't say it was difficult to learn. The difficulty was he was Israeli. His English wasn't, even though he'd lived there for so many years, his communication wasn't the best. So he would explain something to me, but I wouldn't really understand fully what he was telling me because he'd use metaphors and things, you know, to explain what he was trying to tell me. And then after a while, it would click. like, That's what he meant. I, I get it now. And now being the director and, and, and having to do with different aspects that weren't really my concern, I was like, my dad always said this and now I understand what he was saying. Actually, I get it and he's right. Like, I, I see it. He's still teaching me even though he's gone kind of thing.
0: <laughs> when you say metaphors, is it like a bit like the parables that you find in the Bible? It's not always direct and it's a
1: story about a lesson
0: that you need to learn. Yeah, like something like that, I guess.
1: Yes, exactly. Something like that. You know, when you're trying to converse with somebody in a different language, but you don't quite n- know all the words or the whole vocabulary. So you try to describe what you could say in a word. I didn't always understand what he was describing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind?
1: Okay, so I don't know what legacy I, I think I don't think legacy like a a, a monument or like a building or another shop or whatever no I think more a memory of me if people remember me in a good light that would be great.
0: And what do you think are the most important qualities of a successful person?
1: I think it's good to be a little bit shrewd but not greedy honest and open and like upfront. I don't think there's any point in trying to deceive somebody and then putting forward the proposition like seeing where someone you know like Saying something to somebody to get something out of them, whatever, just say, look, this is what I think and what I'm offering. This is my proposition. It's honest and full on. Like, if I tell you it's 10 pounds, it's 10 pounds. I'm not fishing for nine, it's 10, you know? And I'm also not looking for 12, it's 10, Ten's good. Let's be fair and honest. I think it goes a long way. You know, some people, for example, if you put a house on the market, the agent will tell you it's worth 450, 450,000. So uh, let's go 500, you know? Let's see, maybe someone will pay it. Like, all right, yeah, you might win. But then you also might, I guess the house isn't a good example, but I'm sitting in the house now, so. <laughs> a Bible, so a sandwich, you know, offer that bicycle for £10. Eventually, someone will come up to you and say, are well, you taking a mickey out of me? £10 for this? Are you trying to rob me? Almost? Like, some people take offence, you know. How do you have the cheek to ask me? No, be fair, ask a fair price. And I, th- I think that goes a long way. My dad always did that, and we're busy.
0: And how can people connect with you, find out more about what you're doing and also go to bigovic
1: My personal phone number? <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose um, they could
0: go to your website and that's the best way yeah, to. Yeah,
1: I'm joking. Uh, we're building a new <laughs> website. So hopefully that will launch and we want it to be a hub for everything to come in. But we do have an email address. We've got the shop phone number and we're on Facebook, Messenger and Instagram. Brilliant. So yeah, you can easily get into I mean, we're quite active now because of this new, our delivery service we're quite active on facebook messenger
0: you're quite active on twitter and instagram so.
1: my wife helps every so often. i'll be fair i don't really fully understand all of it i just like ding okay thank you very much goodbye <laughs> okay, i'm not i'm not great i'm getting there you know I'm not, i wouldn't say i'm a professional i can post things and pictures and you know i'm not backwards but there are some people that you know they're obviously paid experts like people in marketing that really get all of that mediocre but yeah if you message me i'll, I'll reply Twitter, I'm not a huge fan of. I haven't worked out Twitter yet, but I'm good on Instagram and Facebook.
0: And that was the end of episode 70. The show notes and transcript can be found at com forward slash 70. If you've enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could share it with a friend or two. Every share really helps this podcast to grow. And stay tuned for next Sunday because we'll be meeting an English journalist who has been working in China and Hong Kong for the past two decades. He shares how he first got into the industry, what it's like working in a country not entirely known for its freedom of speech, and how he's creating community with a new brand he has launched under the Tatler brand, featuring some of the brightest young leaders of today. If you want to learn more, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and see you next Sunday.